ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our guest segment. Super excited tonight to have with us for the first time, author Allie Anderson, and the new book is on scrambling the millennial paradox. And Allie Anderson, good to have you with us, ma'am, for the first time. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I'm excited about your book because I think that I I agree with your book largely that we misunderstand the millennials and we sort of deal with them with memes. You know, the guy living in his parents' basement who's never going to become anything and he's got $200,000 in student loans and um, the fascination, overly fascination with uh, social media, those kinds of things, getting in practical college educations and puppetry and the like. Uh, But we, we don't have it all right. And then especially as Christians, if we want to have any shot at reaching these people, we need to understand them and and take some different approaches. So uh, set this up for us a little bit. First, tell us a little bit about you and your background and what drew you to this topic to write a book like this. Okay, well, um, I, uh, I work for Defender Publishing. I'm in charge of the research arm of the company. So I've been researching for um, a while for them anyway. Um, I am a certified private investigator, which is different than a detective, and people often mix the two up. Basically, if you've had any training in private investigating, it's, it's learning how to approach research from a different way, and learning how to discern what's a credible source from an, a non-credible source, things like that. And so I had been kind of doing some, uh, a lot of the research for a lot of Tom Horn's books and things like that. And we were on a trip last year. It was um, toward the end of the year. And, uh, and and Tom kept sending me these stories in, in these emails, and he kept saying, hey, check this out, check this out. But he had been sending these over the period of about a day or two before we had to go on this trip out of town, and I didn't have time to read them. And so I'm on this trip, and it's Tom Horn, Joe Horn, Donna Howell, and me, and we're all sitting at dinner, and Tom says to me, did you read the articles I've been sending you? And I said, no, I've been really busy I'm getting ready for this trip. I'm planning on reading them as soon as we get back. And um, that's how that's how we are at our company. You're not even done with one job, and the next one's already there. And it's 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 great, but you're you're always going. I haven't started that yet because I'm still working yeah. this last thing. Well, and we you know, do a the, lot of that. Tom Tom Horn has so many ideas probably rattling yeah. around in his brain. Uh, you know, if you're in that pipeline of his ideas, I can imagine it would be breathless to try to keep up with all that. 
It is, but it's exciting and I love it. Um, but yeah, and so I said, I haven't had a chance to read these yet, but I planned on it when we get back. That's my next thing I'm going to do. And he started telling me all of these different statistics that came in from these different stories. And immediately, the the story became, as, as these statistics are unfolding, um, basically, you know, and we can get into this in a little bit, but the statistics facing the millennial generation, suicide is a huge killer, overdose of drugs. I mean, these things, it's terrible what's going on with these people, and yet they're leaving the church, and they're in so much pain. And so he, we get to this one moment of this dinner, and he said, do you remember the movie Cross and the Switchblade? Well, I did. And he said, how do we get to the point where David Wilkerson, David Wilkerson in that movie is preaching to these gangsters and he thinks they're not listening to him. And then as he's just tempted to give up, one of them looks at him and says, keep it up, preach, you're coming through. And he said, how do we get to that point with this generation? It's obvious they're in pain. It's obvious they're seeking. And yet they're leaving the church. And the church is somehow starting to really miss the mark with this young generation, the, the, the generation gap that divides the traditional religious institution from these young people is getting wider all the time. And he said, how do we get to the point where one of them would say to us, keep it up, you're coming through. And so this became this big discussion. This discussion dominated the entire rest of the travel time for the whole trip. Um, together we made a lot of notes, and when we got back, it, it literally was so important to him that we addressed this that the book I was working on got shoved on a back burner, and it is still forthcoming. I've still never gotten back to it. And, um, and this became the priority. Basically, he said, get this book written. And I mean, and, and I had to write it fast. I had like eight weeks. And it, but it was and just really it, important. Isn't this, book, isn't this book more than just a book? If I understand it right, there's sort of like a study guide or something that goes yeah. with this as well. Yeah, well, uh-huh, yeah. When we when we finished the book, he said like I said, I had 8 weeks to write it and I I just did a lot of research. I made I made some executive decisions with it and I just turned it into him and I said, "I hope you like it. It's here it is." <laughs> and um and he did and he liked it so much. He said, "Um it needs to be Sunday school curriculum because there there are so many things when we step back and really look at what's happened. You know, the world has very significantly changed in 50 years. And there's such a divide on a regular, a regular generation faces a generation gap that, that is a big divide. The one that we're facing right now is completely out of proportion with anything the world has literally ever faced with its youth. And somewhere in all of that, the church has lost touch with its young people. And so the the book is really kind of an investigation into all the different ways that the youth has been divided from the church and so i mean i talk about i talk about the economic side of it i talk about identity politics i talk about uh the the digital immersion and how that uh, immersion and how that has changed things i mean i tried to take it from every single angle i talk about postmodernism and talk about all the different things because each one of these is a small factor in a very large problem, and all of these and factors it is, individually it, it, it are is large. Fa- it is fascinating. I was reading just this afternoon an article about what is happening with the nation's churches, the buildings, 
And the article was about repurposing church buildings because what happens when the congregation dwindles to the point that the church just gets sold, the building gets sold. And uh, there was an article about a Midwestern uh, couple that bought a church and turned it into a bed and breakfast. And I posted this on my social media today and I thought, you know, it it is interesting, though, because there are people who uh, challenge the notion of what we do today with church, you know, and, and I think for a lot of churches, the idea of reaching out to younger people is to have like a drum set on stage and a guitar. And now Uh we're reaching young people because we have a quote rock band on the stage, which it's not. And this idea, this sort of template that us older folks, we kind of like it. Like you go in and you sing, songs for 15 or 20 minutes and if you go to a more you know up-to-date contemporary church you're singing some of the you know praise type songs not from a hymnal then your pastor comes out and does his thing for 20 minutes and then there's some announcements and another you know couple of songs closing and you're out of there in an hour and you shake hands with all your friends and drink some coffee and eat some bad for you donuts and you go home but kids kids today that 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 doesn't do it for them they're not interested in that is part of your book about sort of reinventing church well it's what i did in in part of the book is i went into the complaints that the millennials are saying oh i want to say this for sure i want to say that um when you're done with something you just leave and so for all these millennials to be online saying why they're leaving the church i really believe that if the church could tweak some things the millennials might start coming back um Hmm. you know it's important to understand that wicca is at an all-time high satanism is at an all-time high atheism is at an all-time low so these people are not leaving the spiritual realm they have not stopped seeking within the spiritual realm they're just leaving the church and so reinventing what you what just we said there church, is so what you just said there is so key i, I want to stop you for a moment and, and and tell you how much i agree with that um i was asked to speak at a conference um and at first i thought oh should i do this or not i was asked to speak at a conference and there would be a thousand people there and on the stage with me would be a kind of a, a new agey kind of uh, UFO-ish type guy that believes we were planted here by aliens. And then another guy was a psychic. And then I was to come and talk about prayer because I've written a book on prayer. And the this was hosted by the big time radio uh, host, George Norrie, who I'm a regular on his show. So okay. I was asked to do this appearance and a thousand people came and I have to tell you that almost to the person that came up to me afterwards, these were not Christians, but they were searching for something okay. spiritual. And I was able to share Christ with them. I'm able to share Christ in my book. And I'm so glad that I went. But you just hit on something. Spiritualism is alive. This is not a culture mm-hmm. that says there is nothing happening spiritually, which there are cultures that that have that view. But you're so right when you say that, because people are searching. And if they don't find it with Christ, they're looking at uh, atheism, uh, not as much, but but Satanism. But I have to tell you, atheism, it may not be on the rise, but those atheists now are sort of approaching their atheistic views as a religion, like they're all getting together and they're doing things like it's a church that believes in nothing, but it's still like a gathering. Like people still want to get together 
and talk about these important issues, even if it's without God in the picture. Oh, and it just speaks to our innate wiring. You know, think about the Garden of Eden. Our innate wiring was originally as we are made in the image of God, to be in community with each other, in community with God. And so even in our denial that there is a God, we have that wiring that says, I want to be in a community that believes similar things to me, and we want to get together and celebrate these beliefs we have. You know, what do we believe in? We don't believe that there's a God, or, you know, or, or some other people who believe that, that some other entity is God that's, that's not the God that we worship. But we are innately wired because we are made in the image of God. And his original plan for us was that we would be in a garden, in community with each other and with him. This is the harmony that we were wired for. So even when that is distorted into other religions or or the lack thereof, we still have that desire to come together. And this is where um, this is where the church has got to reach back out to millennials. And what's, what's going on that's frustrating the millennials to some degree and making them say that some churches are fake is because some churches have overcorrected and become so all-encompassing and so all-accepting, they've abandoned their doctrine, which frustrates millennials, because then they say, well, you don't stand for anything anymore. This isn't authentic. And so what we've got to do is keep our doctrine in place but change how we present it, but not the doctrine. The doctrine absolutely must stay the same. Our scriptural truth cannot be compromised in this process, but it might mean, you know, that we're willing to make some changes in how the old school church government runs. And I mean, they can be simple things, they can be radical things. But if we were to, if we were to look at the parable of the sheep and the goats and imagine how that was enacted in our modern communities... That's the kind of activism that the millennials want to see. So we're not compromising scripture when we, when we revamp some things and change the presentation. If we're, if we're doing the parable of the sheep and the goats, if we're out on a Wednesday night instead of having a Bible study in our church building, if we're out in the name of Jesus feeding the hungry, you know what I'm saying? And, and millennials are statistically the most activist generation in the history of the world. And this is where some of the frustration comes in between them and older people, because a lot of their propensity toward activism is exploited at their expense. And what we have to remember is that millennials are also statistically the most fatherless generation in the history of the world. And so what we have is a generation of people who are activists, who want to change the world, who want to make changes that reach further geographically than the location of where they live. And they want these changes to last longer than the time span of their life. These people are on fire. And what they want is to make these huge changes, but because they are statistically the most fatherless and the most abandoned generation in the history of the world, there's a missing element that they are asking for, and that is mentorship. Hmm. That's that's fascinating. I, 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 I'm with you 100%. Even on these mass shootings, I was reading an article that someone had done a study that these mass shooters, one common thread is fatherless. You know, and, and so when you think about these mass shooters, they say they're motivated because they want to be remembered and they can do this horrible thing and be remembered and they're fatherless and they want to make an impact, a horrible impact, but they want to do something that will last. And it's a horrible thing, of course, but, but this is what you're, you're saying just is absolutely resonating with me. The other thing is that I notice a lot is the younger generation, they want to know why. 
when we talk about doctrine and when we talk about scripture. And I think part of the older generation is willing to accept things on faith and not need to know why, but the younger generation wants to know why. And I believe that we serve a God that makes sense and we have a scripture that makes sense. And if we take the time to explain why? Why do we believe you should be in a monogamous relationship when you're married? What are the reasons for that? Is it just a rule that we have, or is there some actual thought process behind that? Uh, these are the kind of things that young people, I think, would would react more favorably to versus just saying, hey, that's that's one of God's rules. You just follow that because we said you follow it. They don't respond well to that, do they? Well, no, no, and and I I touch on that a little bit in the book in an indirect way, and it's I talk about the pluralism and and the postmodernism. This is where culture has gone from what used to be considered one nation under God. You know, it was largely a Christian country, and as more religions have been embraced throughout our culture, it's it's natural for a person when a person is raised in their home they usually, for a while, while they're young, adopt the same beliefs as their parents, but they reach this age where they want to say, do I believe this because I have come to a conclusion that affirms this belief, or do I believe this because it's what mom and dad said? Well, that works while you live at home, but when you get out on your own, and you have to start answering what time, I mean, really simple things all the way to the big things. What time do I go to bed at night? Well, I used to go to bed at 9 because I had school in the morning, but I don't work the same hours that my school was. Now I can stay up later. There's this whole independent thought process. That's a really simple example. But my point is, this happens with our religious choices. This happens with um, just simple ethical decisions that we make. You know, why do I put in an honest day's work when I'm at work? Why, why do I believe, as you said, in a, mon- a monogamous relationship? You know, what are my reasons for or against this? And if the answer is always because I said so, when there's nobody there to say so, then their mind says, well, then why keep doing this? And so for them to be at church saying why, there are some older people that might be off-put by having to stop and explain the why, but understand that if they're asking you why, if they're in your church asking why, it means that they're interested in knowing the reasons, and they're expressing interest in God's law and His reasons behind it. Embrace it. And if you don't know why, when they ask you something, and you've always just thought, well, I don't know, it's what God said. That's this moment where you can take them under your wing and you begin to search Scripture together. Now you are performing this mentorship, community-type relationship that they are asking for from the church. So when you hear these questions like, why, or what does God say about this, or, or why is God so strict on this, you know, it, rather than to be off-put and think, ah, oh, these young people, they keep asking all these questions— Search with them. Find the answers in the Bible. And be transparent if you don't know the answer. You know, that's a big part of what they're frustrated with, is that they they don't feel that they're being, you know, discipled and mentored by people in church. And there's been a Xerox theology that has taken place throughout the church, where there are a lot of people that don't really know why God says what He says. They just learned it at church, and they went, okay, and that's 
that's great if their faith is, is strong enough to just accept it at face value like that. But for some people, there are enough options out there in society saying, you don't have to do this thing God says. You can do this other thing we believe. Or you don't have to do anything any God says. You can just not have a God. I mean, this is the society that we live in, and all of these options are presented to our young Right, and when they go off to so, college and they're, they're up yeah. against these professors and the, the, the culture there, um, so that we get to all maybe the, the maybe five or six top reasons, I'm going to ask you right now if you can click those off, and then what we'll do is we'll sort of maybe revisit those in a little bit of detail as we have about another 15 or 20 minutes to go here. Uh, what, what would you say are like the top five reasons that millennials – are saying, as you said, they're, they're telling us, we don't have to guess, why are they telling us that they're leaving the church? Well, they are, some, of their, um, some of their reasons seem to contradict each other, and that is frustrating for people in the church. But I will tell you that I do kind of discuss this in the book and try to bring some clarity. So as I rattle these off, they may sound like they are, uh, you know, contradicting each other. Um, but the leadership is not transparent. Uh, there's not enough being done for the poor. Um, they want a church that does not con- um, condemn the culture around them. They want a church that will stand for the tough issues and, and, and speak the truth. They want more community, more mentorship. They feel like it's a tired old club of people who just meet on Sunday and never change. Those are a handful of reasons. Hmm. Um, and like I said, some of them seem like they contradict each other, but when you put into perspective what they're asking for, a lot of it really boils down to matters of the heart. And what would what would it look like if if somebody uh, took your book and just completely absorbed all of this? What would uh, that church look like? Uh, I, I have I'm telling you this. I am very open to, and there are a lot of people now saying that. You know what? These this idea of church is not biblical. Of like building a big building and using it one morning a week. And the pastor stands up on a stage and we listen. This is not the New Testament blueprint for a church as we are practicing it today. Not that there's anything wrong, really, with going to a building and everybody pooling their money and buying a building. I mean, that's all fine, but the New Testament church is a different thing. It's like people seven days a week being together and sharing what they have with each other as each has need. It's like a family you don't just go see your family one morning a week. It's it's a seven day a week, twenty four hour a day thing. So how would how would you redesign our Christian culture or our church culture to to be able to reach these people? Do we have to totally change it, or can we say take a traditional church and add a component to it? that would reach the millennials so that it could sort of be both. It can continue on with those that want to stay with the traditional and then maybe plug something else different into that for the millennials. Well, um, that's a complicated question, and I'll be truthful with you. I think that that is going to be a little bit different in each community because what millennials seem to really want is to be very active in their local communities. They want to change the world in a way that, that transcends where and how long their life you know, occurs, but they want to see it happening right in front of them. And so each community may have different needs. So for me to say, this is, you know, if I were all in charge of all the churches, this is the new design for a church, it wouldn't work in each community. But I will say that in the beginning, 
you may see friction in the church if the church were to really start making these changes, because there are, and I'm sorry, I'm just being real, there are some people who have grown comfortable, and the idea of bringing in these new people with their newfangled opinions, it's going to make some people uncomfortable, and there could be some friction there. And so initially, it might it might look a little bit worse before it gets better. Um, the church, and that's one of the things in the Sunday school curriculum that we released, you know, um, the, the church has to have a really honest conversation between leadership and, and you know, membership. You know, are we really on board with this? Because it will stretch your congregation. There will be new challenges. But I would say that as millennials come in when they voice their opinions, um, you know, to hear what they have to say. Now, some of their ideas may not work, but but some of them might. And if you don't, if if they say, why, why can't we do this? Entertain that thought. Why can't you do this idea they've brought in? You know, maybe they want to, like I said before, maybe they want to abandon the idea of a Wednesday night Bible study, and instead they want to go out and hand out sack lunches on the street. Um, I heard of one church that went to a, um, they go to festivals and they just hand out free drinking water at these festivals because, you know, these festivals that happen out in all the little Midwest towns. Um, yeah, our church, you know, you we, go give there bottles of, we give out yeah. bottles of water at like different events and it has like a branding on it of our church's name and uh, that that works really well. But But back to the issue of the older people, I have to just relate to you this quick story. So my daughter, this was a few years ago, she was hired as a music minister at a very traditional church here in the uh, Daytona area. They wanted to start an earlier service and have contemporary music and she's a fantastic singer and guitar player so they started this early service and they were going to in this early service just do the contemporary music so they had a, a drummer and my daughter was a singer and guitar player they had a bass player set up this band and they told the congregation they were doing this and it would be a different service and so forth so what happened was some of the older people that went to the regular service, it was like 11 o'clock service, decided they wanted to come to the nine o'clock service because it was this new thing. And then they became upset about the music being modern, which was told to them in advance that this is what was going to happen. It was going to be a modern contemporary service to reach younger people. And, and so they became disenchanted enough that actually my daughter was fired as a music minister. Oh, no. And the second serve, the second, the earlier service became a template exactly as the later service for everyone to be happy. They like had to get rid of the whole idea of there being the earlier contemporary service, even though the older folks were told this is what we're going to do and we don't expect you to go to it this is to reach the younger people they still went to it and got all offended and got them to change that service to be a traditional service like like the other one and so when you think about it, you know i'm thinking in this in these terms like if you're a church right and you're looking at it and saying hey we've got like mostly people here north of 60 north of 70 years of age we're not going to be here <laughs> in like 10 or 20 years. We're going to be gone if we don't bring in younger people. I mean, just from a survival standpoint, you would think the older people would get that. But so much has changed, hasn't it? I mean, is it too much to ask somebody maybe that was born in 1930 to like go along with this, this newer music, um, apps, websites, all of this kind of thing. It, it, I mean, are we asking too much of them to go along with this? And is there, like you said, maybe a way to split the difference and, and have maybe these younger people meet at a different time and maybe a different day even uh, to try to accommodate both groups? 
Well, that's complicated because you, you don't want to segregate them when what they're asking for is mentorship and community. They're looking for a place to belong. And so what I would say is the key thing for so many churches is embrace conversation with these young people. If because they you know they are these people see five thousand ads a day they are opinionated and they're outspoken they will tell you what they the the way that their mind has shaped under the digital interface of our modern world they have had to make decisions very quickly and they have to be very outspoken because they don't have time to candy coat all these things the way that you know some of the older people had during the conversations they had when they were young and so what can happen is ask them. Ask them what they need to see in your church. And that doesn't mean you're obligated to do it, but it means you're having a conversation. Now, they may come in with some kind of outlandish thing that is absolutely not biblical and is not the thing the church can do. Then you can say, well, we can't do that, but how about let's talk about this? What's the core idea of your idea? Mm. You know, maybe we can take that core property of this idea you've presented and re package it to be more like this, can we all be on board with that? You know, if, we, if people talk and help make the decisions on these things, they become invested. And pretty soon, you have the older people who have weighed in, the younger people who feel heard, and everybody can mutually decide, okay, this is our new direction for Sunday mornings, or this is how we're going to handle this two kinds of worship music thing. Um, you know, but when people are all invested in reaching that conclusion, they have a personal investment in seeing it succeed. So I would say that the most important thing to do is have conversations. And when you have to tell a young person, no, I'm sorry, your idea doesn't work, say, here's why. Not just, we don't, that's not what we did for all these years. That's not what we do here. You know, instead, have that moment of of investing in them as a person and saying, I appreciate you coming to me with this idea. It doesn't work for these reasons, but barring those reasons, do you have another idea? Let's revisit this and see if we can make this idea work. They just want to be involved. And the thing is, the older generations will not always be here to keep the church going and you know and so we need we need younger people we we need these younger people and uh one of the one of the things you touch on in the book is the lack of a compelling vision and there was an article this week i had read that it said 250 of america's largest companies had come out this week and signed some sort of a public agreement that they were no longer number one going to be concerned about their shareholders, but they were going to be focused on a social impact uh, in the culture. And I thought that was fascinating because, you know, publicly traded company, generally you, you want to, you know, cater to your shareholders, you know, right. that's where your focus is. But I think the genius in that, if there is a genius in that, is that's a recruiting tool because young people today, they're not as much about the paycheck. And I've got three young people in their 20s, my my three kids. And I can tell you this, they're not as much about the paycheck as much as they are about the company they're going to work for and what that company's social impact is. And so how important is it for the church to have a strong vision? Because so many churches, the vision is like, well, can we raise enough money in the offering today to pay another week of our bills? And then we're here next week again. That That's that's the, the entire, you know, focus. There is no vision for the church that is really compelling. 
Well, exactly. And so when you look at their frustration that they don't feel that the church is doing enough for the poor, which, by the way, is, is that is partly a myth related to a miscommunication between the congregation of the church and the church government. And I talk about that in the book, because the church actually does do a lot for the poor. But when you look at these people and they're, they're wanting the church to do things for the poor, when they don't feel the church is doing things for the poor, they see that as a lack of compelling vision. And so what hangs them up is the fact that it looks like a club of people who meet and put some money in a plate, and that money pays the same bill so that they can continue to meet. And it's just this cycle that's not reaching outside their realm. Um, that is what frustrates the young people, because they want to see a more dynamic action than that. But, I, I, I mean, what is the church supposed to be? We're not supposed to be a club that just meets on Sunday morning and the same five people, you know, <laughs> show up at, on, the, on the same time every Sunday. We're supposed to be making a difference in our community. So when you really look at the things that millennials are asking for, a lot of what they're asking for is precisely what the church should be offering. So more than anything, on a lot of levels, what they should be doing is making churches aware of the things that they've lost sight of in their vision. You know, we get so hung up in the little mechanisms of how we operate our churches, sometimes we forget to count and make sure that we don't have just those same five people every single Sunday for two years and nobody else is even hearing that we're there or is, is having their life impacted by our presence, and I keep saying those same five people. Some churches have a lot more than that. Um, but I'm trying to say that we should be impacting our community. We should be a force for good in our community. And that's where the compelling vision, or lack thereof, is visible to our millennial onlookers, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and in our culture, there's so many bad examples of Christian leaders. I mean, you talk about you want a story to go viral, get a mega church pastor, catch a mega church pastor in an affair or in a financial scandal or something like that. And boom, that just goes viral on, on social media because that's what people want to believe that that Christians are all hypocrites and why be a part of something like that and be a fake and be part of, uh, you know, a church where the leader is not legitimate. And, and these are things that our culture, these memes, you know, of the, the mega church pastor, these are embraced by, uh, you know, our, our social media, you know, this generation, it's interesting because when I uh, talk with my kids about, you know, growing up in Chicago, having, maybe four channels on a good clear day on TV and then maybe most of the day having three and having to get up several times and move the rabbit ears on the TV to, to get the yep. channel clear. <laughs> and there was no internet. There were no cell phones. It really was. It wasn't just a different time. It, it was a whole different world. And yeah. now with kids today that have been born with the internet available to them, they were born into the five, 600 TV channels. They were born with instant access to online pornography and all of these things. They were born with the cyber bullying uh, in effect where you not only get bullied at school, you come home and you're bullied on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and everything else. It is a whole different world that these young people are in, isn't it? It, it really is. And unfortunately, in the world changing in the way that it has, church, I'm sorry to say it, but to the secular world, church is 
just gone out of style. Um, it's, it's not considered the cool thing to do. It used to be that we had a moral majority that attended church, and that was just the, you know, you were kind of looked down on if you didn't go to church almost. You know what I mean? Society has changed, and going to church is kind of one of those things that a lot of secular people consider to be old-fashioned. It's out of style. And so, unfortunately, that's one of the battles that we're up against, but it should provide a very keen, important insight to somebody who's looking at a young person in their church, and that is this. If despite the fact that church is no longer the popular thing to do, and it's considered old-fashioned, and it's considered outdated, whatever secular rumors in your community are being said about going to church, that person, who's a young person, has bothered to show up at your church. So understand this about young people. They can have anything they want at a click of their phone. They don't even have to find a computer anymore. If they want something, they go on their computer uh, on their on their computer or on their phone and they stream it, they order it, they have it drop shipped to their house. They can get anything they want brought to them. So if despite the fact that church is going out of style, they show up at your church in person, you have a person standing in front of you who is uniquely looking for community, for mentorship, who is open to knowing what God has to say. Even if they're standing there looking like they've got a chip on their shoulder, like they're just there to debate with you, understand that they've got other things to do with their time. They're seeking out an audience in your church. They're seeking out that personal interaction for something, for a reason. They cannot get this at a click of a button. They can't get this on their phone. So you have this unique and wonderful opportunity to embrace that person and and be a discipleship mentor to them, to lead them, to answer their questions, to sit there and tell them the why. You could have a unique and amazing opportunity to make an eternal difference to that person's soul because they took the time to show up at church in a community where church is considered old-fashioned and they could have ordered whatever they wanted on their phone, and yet they showed up in person to you in your church. So don't waste that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Now, just in, in closing, though, I want to give like kind of some specifics because some of the things that I have seen churches do to try to reach younger people. One movement I've seen, which is still going, is the coffee shop thing. We're going to set mm-hmm. up a coffee shop. That's one thing I've seen. Of course, I've seen the contemporary service where we're going to, uh, you know, bring up like more of like, uh, you know, a rock band and we're going to sing more of the contemporary music, that sort of thing. I've seen that. I've also seen where there are church gatherings outside of the church building. So uh, people, you know, meeting down at the pier uh, here uh, on the ocean on a Friday morning at 7 a.m. with a bunch of surfers get together and and have a Bible study and pray, and it's not in a church building. Um, Are any of those things still uh, valid approaches, or would you even add some more things to that? Is it could you do an online church for these people, these young people? Could you do an app that would reach these these people? What are some other specifics that would be possible for a church today that wanted to do some different things to reach young people? 
I think that all of those approaches are great. And then, like I said, you know, each community is going to have different things that are presented. But I would say just being willing to think outside the box and entertain their reasons. Um, I would I would say that, you know, as hard as it might be, you know, having people available to visit with these people, both in groups and one-on-one, you know, there are so many of them who, remember, the most isolated, the most abandoned, the most fatherless generation, a lot of these people want to sit and visit with you. And it's going to mean time, you know. And so maybe setting up, uh, setting up one-on-one mentorship nights where you've just got people there who can be available just to visit one-on-one, you know, with these people. You could have your fellowship hall set up with coffee, and then maybe, you know, as these people come in, they just visit with you one-on-one. Um, one thing that I suggested um, to ch- churches is that they have some millennials have delayed marriage and, and having children, so for some of them this is not an issue. But some millennials who are married and or have children, you know, have maybe a a mingling night where there's a nursery set up and these people can just get together and watch a movie together and or or visit or have dinner together in your fellowship hall where their kids are in a nursery, obviously, you know, with with the right workers who've been background checked and all of these credentials need to be in place, Mm -hmm. not just some random babysitter, you know, and, and have it set up to where for an evening, and I don't mean drop them off and leave the building, but I mean for an evening, their kids are just in the nursery and they can visit with each other, meet other Christian people and sit and have a conversation that's not interrupted by small children saying, I need this mom, I need this dad, you know, so that's that's an idea. Just really simple things like this. A lot of times when you really dig into what they're looking for, it's much simpler than it seems to be at the initial at the initial assessment for a lot of them what they're really seeking is interpersonal interaction and so if you can facilitate that you can do this in almost any setting yeah you can have bible studies in the park um you can have days where you get together and, and, and do things for the community, like the handing out water that we discussed, and then just facilitating the ability for them to actually just visit with each other. You know, have a Saturday afternoon, like I said, see a movie, watch a, you know, have a picnic, something where their kids are babysat, or, you know, where you have, have, you can have specific things as well. I mean, I remember sewing circles, and that might sound like it's really outdated, but vintage is very popular. If it's presented the right way, it becomes this vintage thing. And there are so many traits, uh, trades that are um, not being taught to younger people. So many young women don't know how to sew, don't know how to bake. I mean, presented as You're a right, vintage thing. You're right, just being a service a to the off. community. What about a resume night, like how to how to do a resume, how to set up a LinkedIn page, you know, some just strategic things that young people are probably dealing with, maybe a a night about how to pay off your student loans. You know, we've got to bring an expert in to talk about student loans and, you know, if you've already got the loans, what to do if you're thinking about getting loans, what some of the, you know, dangers are and, and, and that sort of thing, just, just being a service to people. Yes, and don't forget that reverse mentorship is a thing. And some people don't know the phrase reverse mentorship, but generally what it means is um, the younger can instruct the older. So you want to have a how to have your how to set up your LinkedIn page? Then maybe the millennials <laughs> are hosting well, of course, that one. Of course, that would not be leading that one. I would be in the audience <laughs> right. on that one for sure. Right. 
right. And yeah, yeah. And so, you know, give them, because part of being in a community is, is having a vital role you can play. Give these people things they can do where they're the ones who are able to share their skills, share their insight. Have a, yeah, seriously, have a how to set up your LinkedIn, how to, you know, and let them facilitate that for some of the older people who don't know how to do Facebook well, I or really LinkedIn. Appreciate, I would be there. <laughs> I really appreciate your heart. And I, I remember Jack Welch, the uh, famous CEO, uh, he used to talk about when he really wanted to find out what needed to be done, he would go all the way down uh, to the, to the uh, production line and talk to the guy that's, you know, screwing the door onto the car. You know, those are the people that know what's happening, what needs to be done, not the mid-level executives or the higher-level executives. Go down to the, you know, production line. And I think what you're saying in the heart of your book is, look, um, if you want to reach millennials, uh, listen to what they have to say. I mean, at least if if they're being heard they're going to feel valued if they're being heard. Not that everything they're, they're suggesting can be implemented, but just being heard is a beginning step. And then being open uh, to doing things differently. Hey, we've always done it this way isn't a good answer. Um, you know, be open to, to maybe some new things. Bottom line is if it bears fruit, if, if meeting at the park is bearing fruit and people are coming to Christ, then that's a good thing. It may be something different, but it's a good thing. And that's how you test what you're doing. Is it, is it biblical? Yes, let's try this. And if it bears fruit, then we'll continue to do it. I, I think these are all uh, great things. And you're not saying it's a one size fits all. You're simply saying this is, uh, you know, a, a, an approach. It's more of an attitude of accepting these young people and hearing what they have to say, what their issues are, and and uh, trying to accommodate them to the extent that you can within, you know, reasonable boundaries within your doctrine and, and within Scripture. Um, in closing, for folks that want to get the book, they want to get the study, all of that, tell us about all of that, the websites, the videos, all the ways that they can tap into you and this tremendous book, which, by the way, is again titled on Scrambling the Millennial Paradox. It is available at Amazon. I've got it up here right here on my screen. Um, it's available in paperback. Is there a Kindle version or an audio version? Everybody asks me There is me a Kindle that. version. Uh, okay, I, so not an audio Kindle version. version. Not an audio version yet. I believe the Kindle reader. I, I, think that, I think Kindle has a, has a converter yeah, that you will go do it to that audio. Way. Right, I think right, you right. can, yeah. Yeah, there's not an audio version. There is a Kindle version. Um, yeah, it's called Mo- Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox. It's available on Amazon. It's available at skywatchtvstore.com. Now, if you order on skywatchtvstore.com, that's when you can get this uh, Sunday School um, curriculum with it. It comes on a PDF that you can print, and um, Amazon does not carry that. So if you if you want the Sunday School curriculum, go to skywatchtvstore.com and order it there. There. It's called Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox by me, Allie Anderson. And um, if you go on YouTube, you can look up the uh, the videos. You can just type in um, Allie Anderson, Unscrambling the Millennial Paradox. You can also go to the skywatchtv.com website and look through the archived and do a search. You can find the shows that way. Um, generally, we try to make ourselves pretty visible. So if you go to Google and do a 
a search for unscrambling the millennial paradox, uh, you should find several different ways to obtain the information or watch the shows. But like I said, that Sunday school curriculum is on a disc. It's a PDF, and it only comes if you order from SkywatchTVStore.com. So that's very how good. You can get that. We have a pretty large audience that listens live, but about ten times more than that will download the shows. So you'll see more of the benefit as the week progresses on as people uh, continue uh, to download the program. What a what a great topic. And Ellie Anderson, we thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back and visit again. Thank you very much. It's been an honor. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Wow, what a great interview. What 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 fantastic information. And, you know, I, one of the things I think about is how many churches, think about this, how many churches even care, and I, I don't mean to be crass, but how many churches even care if they're reaching younger people? How many churches, if uh, four or five young people came in, would the heads turn and the first thought be, what are these young troublemakers doing here? <laughs> if they weren't you know, family members of someone that they knew, just young people showing up at a church, you'd be wondering, what are they up to? Well, you know, you'd, there would be a thought of maybe they're here to do something terrible. Um, this has got to change. And, and just the reality is, if we don't reach young people, then our churches are going to die. They're already dying. I was talking about it in the first segment, how churches are now being turned into bed and breakfasts. I mean, wh what in the world are we going to do here? We've got to find a way to reach young people, and it's not going to be done by just doing what we're already doing now. The, the old traditional methods are not working, and this book has a lot of great ideas. I highly recommend it. On Scrambling the Millennial Paradox, Allie Anderson. All right, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye for now.